Filmcast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Megan, and I am a committee. We've decided for the last book of the series to split up the hosting duties in kind of an informal way. So I'll be taking you through the timeline, but you'll be hearing through everybody and at different points of this show um, in sort of quasi-host capacities. So this month, we'll be talking about The Unifying Force by James Lucino, the last book in the series where squishy Yusun Vong technology gets even squishier. We figure out why the Yusun Vong are incompatible with the Force, and Zonamasiko should seriously be in the Dramatis Personae. So grab your villa, tune in, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I appreciate that you said I am a committee, and then we just never went over my name or Rocky's name. <laughs> oh, well, right. That's the time to do it now. What's what's your name? Um, I'm Bria Theron. Oh no, wait. I'm just Bria. <laughs> just kidding. Hi, I'm Rocky. <laughs> Excellent, Bria and Rocky, my knowledgeable committee members. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should get Brian to intersplice. I am not a committee into here. <laughs> He probably won't do it. <sighs> so, th- finally, as of this episode, we no longer have to give the disclaimer that we don't talk about future book spoilers. We will talk about future book spoilers because the future is now. What? And we no longer have to threaten Rocky with the spoiler bat at last. But we will thoroughly go through today's book. So if you haven't finished reading it, you can go read the book. And then come back to us. You can also just decide you don't want to read the book. That's fine, too. Uh, So. Can we threaten Rocky with a spoiler bet anyways? Because that's fun. Oh, fine. (laughs) I'm just saying. There's like a habit of ask me about this later. It is. While I'm kind of like bouncing and doing the very R2-D2 indignant beeping. (laughs) (laughs) The human equivalent of that, basically. (laughs) You are. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I'm glad you you know yourself in in such an honest way. Apparently I'm growing up to be an astromech droid. (laughs) Congratulations. I know. Goals. So, uh, uh, Bria, please do the honors of reading the dramatic book summary, by which I mean the the normal book summary, the blurb on the... The very large hardcover we have this time around. Yes, it's not from the back of the book this time. It's from the uh, the cover flaps. So get excited. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Galactic <laughs> Alliance. <laughs> the Galactic Alliance's hard won success in countering the Yuzenvong onslaught has proven all too brief, and the tide has turned once more to the invaders' advantage. Having overcome the sabotage strategies of the Jedi and their allies. The marauding aliens have pushed deeper into the galaxy and subjugated more worlds in their ruthless quest for domination. Coruscant has been remade into a Yuzenvong stronghold. The remnants of the Resistance are struggling to form a united front. Luke, Mara, and Jason are missing in action. Clearly, the stage is set for Endgame, because this is the final book. Now, as Han and Leia receive the chilling news that hundreds of high-ranking Galactic Alliance prisoners face slaughter and a sacrifice to the enemy's bloodthirsty gods, Luke and his team try desperately to convince the living world of Zanama Sikat to join the Jedi's final campaign against the Yuzen Vong. Yet, even as they speak, a lone space station is all that stands between Alliance headquarters on Mon Calamari and wave after wave of ferocious enemy forces waging their most decisive assault. At the same time, the Jedi's alliances throughout the galaxy are being tested, and the chances of victory jeopardized 
by rogue factions determined to deploy the lethal weapon that will exterminate the Yuuzhan Vong, and perhaps countless other species. And among the Yuuzhan Vong themselves, the threat of revolt has reached a boiling point, as the oppressed underclass and powerful officials alike fear their supreme overlord's mad actions will provoke the wrath of the gods. Ultimately, for both the forces of invasion and resistance, too much has been sacrificed, and too much is at stake to ever turn back. And now, nothing can stand in the way of sizing victory or facing annihilation, and dear lord, someone take the dash away from these people! That's too many dashes! <laughs> Stop! That part wasn't in it. It's all coming together now. Set to set for endgame. <laughs> okay, this will about way longer than the back of the books usually do. I feel personally attacked. That's that the theme was... with this novel. This is a hefty novel. We this all actually... Such a long book. Well, we sort of tried to read it ahead of time. <laughs> Priya, how long did it take you? Uh, I started Monday. Great. And then this I took a nap. Wednesday. And then I got distracted by another book. So I finished it Tuesday. <laughs> good, good. Can always count on you. So. I spent um, Sunday reading this book. Huh. Just basically the whole day Sunday, I started somewhere around noonish, and I, with a few breaks and distractions here and there, I think I was done by like seven. Huh. See, that's impressive. I was working on this for a couple weeks, and part of the reason, I mean, it's a big book. Um, part of the reason it took a while was because I was, it was a little, a little dull at times. So, uh, the first thing I wanted to go over is like, before we get into content is like did you like it did you enjoy the experience of reading this book that was such like the culmination of this whole huge series yes but my whole i'm going to read this book at the last minute because i got distracted by new york comic-con in the middle um didn't help and i think we we're kind of talking before about uh not enjoying it as much as previous readers and i don't think i liked it quite as much as when i've read it before but I think part of that is because I was on such a time crunch and I tend to not enjoy the longer books as much when I'm trying to rush and get through them, uh, which is partially my own fault because number one, I left it despite reminding everyone that we should start reading the book early two weeks ago. Uh, and also because I got distracted by another book that was a queer retelling of King Arthur. Ooh. You'll have to right? tell me about which one that is later. I'm very it's called, it's called Once in Future and it's in space and Arthur's a girl. I'm but writing that down. But that's not the point <laughs> of this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm just very excited about that book. So I also found this to be kind of slow. And there were moments that I remember being super attached to when I was younger or even in my second read through in my 20s. And now I read them and it's kind of like, this is a little cheesy. This is a little dry. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that, that experience. But I did feel that. It ended on a high note. It also ended on, like, a tome. This is a huge book. 500 pages. Although, actually, you know what? In comparison to the Forest Heretic of Doom trilogy, it's not that much longer. And it's shorter than Star by Star. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember any specific thoughts on this book from when I first read it. 
in my second read through, I was reading it in kind of a rush. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a long book, but not in a bad way. It goes fast. And in this read through, wow, they packed a lot into 527 pages in the paperback version. It felt like this could have easily been two books, but it was not a difficult read, unlike Force Heretic. There were I think no that kind of was in sight. <laughs> there were none, sadly. The, the contradiction in this book for me is there are parts that I love, and then there are parts where I was like, I just can't imagine Harrison Ford delivering the line, I hate microbial mats. It just doesn't <laughs> seem possible. <laughs> oh, Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. So, At the same time, though, I will say, I think it still absolutely stands up as pulling off an impossible task and wrapping up a 19-book series better than I think almost any other book could have managed to do. I like, was, that part still 100% stood up for me. I did not remember just how well we wrapped up so many plot threads very completely. I'm very impressed at that. It's certainly impressive. I, it's not easy to write a book like this, I would imagine. You pointed out, Rocky, you wrote some of the intro that had this, but I was curious about to elaborate on how you felt about the the huge cast of characters and why Zanamasiko should be on the Dramatis Personae, which more Star Wars books should have Dramatis Personae. Yes. I will stick with that opinion. It does make reading books like this that have a big cast a lot easier. Plus... Let's be honest, we've got a sentient planet here who is playing a pretty big part in how events unfold and what actually, how the whole series concludes. Put the planet in the, in the cast of characters. It's sentient, after all. The droids get put in there. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like such a long list, and I realized glancing over my notes from as I was reading this book, I kept having to write down character names and make a note of, like, which team went to which planet, who's on Team Zonamasikot, who went to Kalula, who's where in the attack on Yuzhantar. Like, I kept having to write all of that down just to keep track of everyone. I didn't realize just how much of a giant cast this book had, but, well, what do you expect when you're trying to wrap up such a big series? And between Silveris and Kalula, we did get a handful of new characters as well, even if they were side characters. We saw a lot more infantry in this book, which I liked partially because they remind me of Twilight Company. And if the characters from Twilight Company had been like around in the canon, they would have been like the infantry, not the pilots that we spend a lot of time with. So some of the Silveris stuff I enjoyed because it was more about people fighting on the ground than about the pilots, which I like also, but it's something different. Yeah, I was happy to see Paige and then Pash Kraken, who I love Pash for whatever ridiculous reason. He's he's absurd. He is a pilot, even if him and Paige are doing like a double act with everything. But I was glad to see them hmm. get a pretty decent role in the book, especially after I think I think it was the final prophecy was the one where they were like, oh, yeah, they've been captured. Yes. Yes. Although I kept I yelling worried at one about of them. them. Yeah, I kept yelling at one of them. I think it was Pash. I'm like, dude, they literally came here to get you out. Will you please just get on the ship and go back? Yeah. Please, yes. please just be rescued. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not done. You cannot rescue me. <laughs> so 
uh, one among those uh, characters that are kind of, I don't, mm, yeah, that are padding out some of these battle scenes. Boba Fett is there, which has made me think so much about the later, like, Legacy of the Force Boba Fett stuff. And there's that moment where Han thinks he recognizes a person that turns out to be Boba Fett. At, at, like, And it would be Timor Morrison at that point. And I just kind of find it funny that he was there and that, like, to know this is in the same timeline as, like, the Karen Travis Mandalorian stuff and the stuff that'll come in the future with Jaina and Boba Fett. Like, it... I had kind of forgotten that he was there. Yeah, I totally forgot when when Han was trying to figure out who that guy was. I was like, uh, who is he? What's going on? And then they, they he appeared in armor and I was like, oh, right. Which actually I liked. I liked that someone was like, it could be anyone in that armor because it's totally a nod to some of the other legend stories where I think it's they determined that during the YJK books, it wasn't actually Boba Fett in his armor. <laughs> It yeah, was some, like, I think it was like, like his daughter or something. Like the galaxy apparently borrowed the armor at some point or another. Yeah. <laughs> Masks are good for anonymity that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally was... forgot. I did think that was kind of a cool fight scene, though. You had that moment of like the very almost like hardware fetishistic. Here's the, the Mandalorians with their rocket launchers. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate this for what it is. Yeah. It was very bringing the galaxy together. Yes. So that's also toward the beginning of the book. We get a reminder that Alpha Red still exists. And this is a part that I had mostly forgotten was back in this book. That Alpha Red becomes the kind of, this kind of, like, uh, axe to hold over Zanamasika's head at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I remembered it as Kip did, as Kip figured it out. Which, number one, I love that Kip Duron is the one who went, I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. You were in those meetings. Um, and being trolled by Luke Skywalker the entire time. But <laughs> I just I just loved seeing Kip. A- anytime we get more Kip, especially now that he's gotten his crap together. Yeah. He makes me happy. Like, Alpha Red, not happy. Kip Duron being the one who's like, oh, no. <laughs> Um, especially I liked that and then the interactions with the Bothan. No. Bothan, who was driving Han crazy, who was like, I didn't necessarily know it was gonna be Alpha Red, but yeah, that's what's going on. And then yeah. everyone else being like, You've wiped out an entire species and it's not the Yu Zen Vong. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. It was Bothans continue yeah. to be a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yes. They're Yes. Yes. Apparently Irritating everyone else is like part of their purpose. Apparently that's I how it also... happens when you declare like war on an entire species. Yeah. I also enjoyed the new Calmer Kip. He seems more level now and that's fun. Yes. So from Silveris to Kalula to Yusantar, this book has a lot of space battles in the middle. It has a lot of feints and counterfeits. Faint, bleh, faint, you know that word. Um, the New Republic's trying to outthink the Yusan Vong, who are trying to double cross, not double cross, but like trick the New Republic. And then, of course, everything uh, changes when when Zenomacy got attacks. So, um, how <laughs> do we feel there? Yeah, yeah. 
how do we feel about <laughs> some of the space battles and the um the Mon Cal sequences? Because I found a, myself a little uh skipping around a little bit in some of these space battles because there are just too many and there's lists of names and like Mon Cal is there, but you know, like we knew the final battle was not gonna be at Mon Cal, so some of it seemed kind of like I was just waiting for the Zanamasi code stuff to happen. Yeah, so I found myself just thinking, like you were saying before, uh, of trying to out-trick everyone. It turned into a very, well, we know that you know that I know that you know. (laughs) And I was just kind of like, so I lost track of that. I didn't mind the space battles, or rather, I would have paid more attention to the space battles if I hadn't been trying to read quickly and was skimming through a little bit but i know i tweeted about this and i definitely started crap on twitter which i knew i was going to do but there's a part i think it's a little bit earlier in the book but you um <laughs> yes. to kyle katarn fans but like it's they're all like military jedi dudes who are probably white with brown hair and i was just like guys really really star wars did we have to do this you're all like pilots or something i don't actually know what ken thammer does he's that he's a pain in the ass in the fate of the jedi but the only thing i remember about kent is his ultimate fate and fate of the jedi it's I'm real sorry. bad yeah that's, but anyway, that's it <laughs> yeah, the point is though like like you're saying about just the lists of names and i'm someone who's pretty well versed in in legends so I was like, if I'm getting confused and can't keep track of who is who, I feel like I'm not sure. That's got to be intimidating. Confused. I was just bored. Like, do we really need the roster of everybody here? Well, not necessarily. Like, not you necessarily were confused. But, like, I can't imagine someone picking up the book and just trying to keep track of literally everyone. <laughs> Mm, true. Yeah, if it weren't for actually physically writing it down, I'm not entirely sure if I would have kept track of everyone. A lot of the triple, double, quadruple crossing everyone did start to get a little confusing. Because, like, I, I can, as I was reading this, I can tell the big idea, the constant Nascoka has a couple different plans in mind and ways to react. On Moncal, everyone has a few different ideas, and they're kind of betting on, I know the other guy just well enough to make them fall into this trap, or not this trap, but it was, it felt like a giant 4D mess of chess that nobody really knew the rules to. And by the time we actually landed on Yujantar and started invading, I'm like, oh good, I can actually follow this fairly well. Here we go. I did find some of Nastchoka's attempts to justify his own choices in the shifting eyes of the gods to be interesting. Like, he spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, what is the ethical thing for me to do within the, the yes. like, twisted ethics of the Yusunbong, um, the, like, the Yusunbong gods. So some of that was, like, was interesting. Was this the first book we'd seen him in? I don't remember anymore. No, he was briefly in other books, but we didn't have as much like point of view. Uh, yeah, from yeah. Him. I feel like I barely remember most of the other war commanders if they're not a law or the one they brought back from who failed at Ithor. Oh, yeah, uh, the one who dies at the start. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember you, <laughs> like Malik Carr or something like that. Yeah, I was Malik just Carr. like, wait a minute, he is still alive. 
that's weird. I didn't think that was usually a thing you got to do in the Yuzhan Vong world if you fail. Apparently. From decline to decline. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they need someone to take out the trash. Um, <laughs> so. But I like yeah, that they, they shamed used... ones for that. <laughs> I guess. But I like that they used a character we already knew mm-hmm. in that role. Um, and one who had, I guess, I don't know why his name stood out to me. Um, but one with a distinct enough name so it felt like we weren't just getting another random Yuzhen Vong commander at the end. Um, sorry, I know I'm jumping, I'm jumping back and forth here. Uh, that's okay. I think that's a good transition to the Shimra stuff in the middle of the book. Um, let's not talk yet about the old, the end Shimra stuff. But Rock, uh, Rocky, you had noted that you were interested in like what seems to be Shimra's decline throughout this yeah. book. I remember, I mean, still, I was very surprised when he started kind of railing against the gods. That was a surprising move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I was, what I was realizing there was I feel like I was starting to get like the first inkling of it in bits of the final prophecy. But in this book, Shimra's going from a little more fanatical than his usual self. And that's saying something. (laughs) <laughs> to the end where it's just like, hello, is Shimra operating in reality right now? Like, what is even going on here? Shimra railing against the gods and going into, yeah, we're kind of actually just having a war against the gods here. And just like, wait, what is happening here? <laughs> like, is he quite feeling all right these days? Is the war getting to him or something? <laughs> it's rather interesting as the Yishan realize they're way too spread out. Or at least the sensible ones, like Nastroka, are realizing we're a little spread out. We actually could get ourselves in some trouble here while Shimra is busy losing his mind as fast as he can. There are moments where I heard the Emperor's Throne Room music when Shimra was starting to kind of lose himself. And then this kind of the scene or the music would change and become something more jarring and less controlled and i think the reveal of him not really being in charge is a good one because he is they have very much flirted with the idea of him being a palpatine like figure and i think in this book you see moments where he's intentionally creating that and then those moments are broken by his breakdown and i thought that was good that was very cinematic i like that comment about the music that's I hadn't thought about that before. That's really neat. There were parts, especially toward the end of this book, where I could like almost hear a score, which is a, a very high compliment. Yes. Yes. There also, were definitely plenty of times near the end of the book when my brain was thinking right to some of the usual Star Wars music. Also in the middle, we got the sad news about Admiral Akbar having finally passed away. I felt so random. And yes! Yes! It did. It was weird that it happened off screen. Yes. It's, and like, I, it didn't add anything. I, I I mean, I guess they needed a reason for Akbar to not be around. But like, We've already made it clear in this series that Akbar is old enough that he can't really be out of the water for very long. And then, oh, surprise, by the way, he's dead. Like, yeah. really? Really? I mean, honestly, I almost feel like it would have been better if it had happened before the book started. You know what I mean? 
Like, yeah. I like in a way that they allowed one of the characters to have a kind of a peaceful death. Like Akbar did not have to sacrifice himself or be a hero at the last moment. He like his health was bad and that's unfortunate, but he kind of died like at peace. So I guess that's a nice difference, but I also felt like I kind of wonder what the behind the scenes rationale was for this, for this particular character to not get maybe the role of a Pelion or something. I'm wondering if it's because, because he was in Destiny's Way. He had a big part in that one, right? I'm wondering if they thought that they had built him, he had been too good at what he was doing in there. Because Destiny's Way was really, was the real turning of the tide, I thought. Um, and that's why it's actually I thought the the cover copy description of the book was interesting because I never really saw it as the whatever the heck we're calling it now. Um, New Republic, GFFA. I didn't see them as being on the downturn. Like I saw everything, especially in Zessie's way, as them gaining strength and pushing back against the Yuzen Vong. And this was going to be the final press, but it wasn't do or die. Um, so my my guess is that the reasoning is they Akbar was too good. They needed to give the Republic a little bit more of a struggle. But I don't know. I feel like it would have been. It would have been less jarring if they had, if Leia was just like, ah, oh, yes, you know, what a shame Admiral Akbar passed away two weeks ago or something like that. Just mm. thinking about it. Yeah. Instead of like, said, yeah. Somebody bursting into the room and saying, Akbar's dead. Yeah. yeah. But it was all dramatic too. He's like, excuse it me, was. my wife has just informed, my wife Winter has just informed me that Admiral Akbar is dead. I'm like, this is very, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. Not that he doesn't deserve a good, you know, peaceful death, because his death in canon is not peaceful. But, yeah. So, I had been under the impression that the the GFFA, right, was on the, the top, like, had the, um, had the high ground, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were winning, but the problem was the the attack on Yusantar was going to be so difficult. And Zonemacy code is this big um, randomizing factor that's bouncing around the galaxy. And the war has entered into this final phase of it's a philosophical argument as much as it is a military argument. And there are like, they mentioned that there are enough Yusantar troops left that they're struggling to fill their ships basically. Um, So the troops are kind of on the back foot, but they are on the back foot in the most heavily fortified place they have so i i was also under the impression that maybe the new republic is is winning so that makes sense i guess somebody might have been like why doesn't akbar simply destroy them you know yeah and that also made me think of um because the yuzen vong are having to deal with not just the gffa but also the rebellions from the shamed ones um i know we've got a note in here later talk more about nominor but the scene where he goes back as the prophet and yeah, his right hand dude was like, let me, it just keeps going off script. And Nominor was like, what are you doing? That's not what I'm trying to say. That yeah. amused and me greatly. Then he's got a, and Nominor's got a knife in his ribs and. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I guess, you know, they had the, the battles from outside and then within, whereas the GFFA is, Pretty, I mean, the Alpha Red aside, pretty darn united in a way I don't think we've ever seen them before. Um, they keep emphasizing, like, we get l- long lists of characters, 
But I mean, you've got Taloncard, Pelion, some random hut dude who's representing an alliance, uh, all of these other big names from the New Republic, and they're all fighting together. Like the Chiss are helping even. That, it the takes a lot Imperials and present Imperials, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of the part later on when Ty, um, Talon Card and Lando are talking and they're kind of going over like, okay, who came out on top? Who's not doing well? And the Huts are like the only uh, people from this galaxy who have for sure lost. Like the Huts just have lost so much of their influence. And the mm-hmm. smugglers, the ex-smugglers alliance are like, okay, how are we going to basically what's our business opportunities now after this? I thought that was amusing. Yes. Yes. So but before hard Lando and Booster Tarek in a room together is a, <laughs> is a good time. Lando just pulling like infinite shot glasses out of his jacket pocket. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag Lando. goals. Yes, Lando shows up with a bottle of whiskey. Well, duh, I've got enough shot glasses for almost everyone. Totally. <laughs> That's skipping ahead to the postscript. So let's talk about that fortification on Yusan Tar. That is the last stand of the Yusan Bong. Um, one of the most kind of vivid scenes for me in this part is, um, as well as meeting up with like the infantry and people like Pash, was the Falcon trying to get to the world brain through this mess of thorns. And the ship is like trapped in thorns and Han and Leia basically try to fight through the front door of the world brain section. And then like a whole bunch of warriors come out and they just retreat immediately, (laughs) which I think is a great example of Han Solo's plans never actually working. Yes. That whole flying into the world brain scene was excellent. And like, as I was, as I was reading that, I'm just thinking, this is not going to end well. I don't remember how it ends, but this is a bad plan. And by bad, I mean excellent. (laughs) It's Star Wars. When does it ever end well? I mean, it did end well in the big scheme of things. I mean, it it ends well, but there's always a giant mess that goes along with it. Oh, yes. Who was it that, like, I feel like someone was poking fun. Someone was saying to Wedge about, oh, a heavily fortified station, you'll have to get beneath the shields. Does that sound familiar? And Wedge is like, nope. There were at least a few jokes about two proton torpedoes and one little exhaust port. I love how there was like a running Death Star joke going on here and there. (laughs) Yeah. And Wedge and Tilly just does not know. Please don't do this to him. Wedge (laughs) is so over all of this and everyone else is just running the jokes. (laughs) I almost felt bad for the world brain. Like, it had been made to set fires and destroy its own planet, and Jason's nowhere to be found, and it just wants to run, like, Coruscant, like it's a sim city. Let the world brain have somewhere to, like, do do its thing. (laughs) Yes, yes. Just let it rain insects once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you gotta, you just just feel like raining insects, you know? (laughs) So that's Coruscant, Yusantar. Um, we get kind of a glimpse of what it looks like when the um, the non Yusan Vong are trying to bring it back, which is cool. That's kind of later in the book. But a lot of the important plot stuff with the Jedi happens either in Shimra's uh, throne room slash spaceship uh, and Sun Wan's and Amasiko. So this book is one that created a lot of my goodwill towards an Amasiko. I found that a lot of the imagery in this one is really great. 
um, including Luke talking about uh, his experience of what being a Jedi Master is. Um, there's also the Sakatan ships, which I love, um, but I don't. I want to talk about them. I also don't want to skip over totally the kind of culmination of Jason and Luke's conversation about Force philosophy, where I thought there were several interesting things in their kind of culminating conversation, including how Jason always thought that Luke's real um, like enemy was the dark side, not an individual person. And then the con- kind of conclusion they come to is about how the dark side is made manifest through people's choices. So like, no, maybe the forest doesn't actually have a light and dark, but people do when they start to decide to, when they start to decide to like do things that have consequences basically. And I thought that did a good job of both maintaining what star Wars is in terms of it is a good versus evil story, but also not making it such that the force can only be used in a certain way um, or else you're totally irredeemable. And I think a lot of it is kind of relevant to some of the conversations that the fandom's having about, about what the dark side is right now. Some of it's not, but some of it is. And then you get things like the unifying force, right? Which reminds we, me of, Qui-Gon lore we got in Master and Apprentice and is of course also connected to the Legends Qui-Gon lore so because he was supposed to be able to tap into the unifying force and the, the, the living force right the center of it so any thoughts about that do you feel that that was integrated into the final conflict in a satisfying way or, or not really melding into the force in the final conflict i feel like that was one of those uniquely jason things that nobody else who didn't have his kind of perspective his habit of questioning positively everything i feel like it was one of those things that only jason would really have been able to do simply because like that whole conflict to me illustrated Jason and Jaina and Luke are three very different types of Jedi. And just overall, that whole final conflict, so many different ways to be a Jedi, outlooks on how the Force works based on your experience and the way you deal with things, all of which are potentially valid. Like, highlighting, we have a lot of strength in being different. Hmm. Like, that was something that really struck me in this read. It's like seeing all of these different Jedi, who all have different backgrounds and skills and strengths and perspectives, they all are bringing something valuable into this. See, anything? I, for whatever reason in this reread, I sort of felt like Jaina got the short end of the stick. She did. Because, (laughs) I think it's because her, her her arc resolved so much earlier in the series um, with the whole sort of the Jedi thing. And you add in, I mean, I'm jumping ahead here, where she just spends so much of the book frustrated. Um, and, she, you know, she's been fighting the war. She's the best, one of the best, if not the best pilot there. And she doesn't get a Sakodan ship. Like, none of the seeds want to bond with her, and she doesn't understand why. And then in the final battle, I was very struck at how she gets taken out of commission so much faster. 
Mm-hmm. Which I, seems I agree. bizarre to me that you do that to the sword of the Jedi. Like, she's literally supposed to be the weapon. That really stuck out to me. It's just an egregious oh, example agree. of, like, we don't know what to do with her. We're going to make her the the threat, right? Like, if you don't succeed, Jaina specifically will die. And I don't know that. Yeah, I kind of wish they had leaned a little bit more, like... They lean so heavy on the, yes, it's significant for the twins to be there, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then I wish we had gotten more of the twins facing Shimra or whoever together yes, as like an entity. And it, it would have been a nice, a nice resolution to how things were with them earlier in the series. Mm-hmm. I feel like even if Jaina had... Yeah. If Jaina had gotten some moments like Luke did, because I really liked Luke in this book. Um, I like that he both says that he doesn't really feel like a true Jedi master and has kind of some of that imposter syndrome going on. And also like that he's really impressive. Like he has a moment where he's just cutting down everything on the way up to the Shimmer's throne room. Jaina kind of doesn't get that. She doesn't get a moment of being awesome. And She's had them in piloting before, but I feel like there could have been some room for her in in a different way. I really don't also, I also don't understand why she doesn't get a Sikhatan ship. I love the Sikhatan ship so much. I think they're so cute. I had thought that this was like this scene where the, they, the Jedi partner with them, either I'm thinking of something from Rogue Planet Or this scene just loomed so large in my head that I thought thought there was, like, a whole chapter about it. Because I was very surprised that that was so small. But I also don't understand why there, if there's some kind of, like, canonical mapping reason why they didn't give Jaina one. Or if they were just like, we need her to be in the last scene so she can't be piloting. I I think it was that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is irritating. But. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And it would have been cool if she could, like, still run her squadron, but from a Sikhatan ship. Yeah. Speaking of her squadron, though, I thought Jag had some fun moments. Yes. Yes. When he's like, I'm liking him, okay? He's growing on me. Good, good. My master plan has worked. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I liked that he's. You know, like they have to get him out of the ship and he's just trying to do his best to help everyone out. And then he ends up being on the team on Yuzantar. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, Yeah, there were good Jag moments. That's all I have on that one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When I was reading that about Jaina not getting a ship, like a Sakatan ship, my brain went to something about if Jason were more of a pilot and were interested I would have assumed that he would get one but I would never have expected Jaina to she's her like she doesn't have like the connection to nature and like life the way Jason does and the way some other Jedi do for some reason when I was reading this I'm just I kind of assumed that she wasn't going to get a say cotton ship even though for plot reasons I can see why she had she's in the final battle scene so of course she's not getting the cool ship some part of my brain just went no that's not 
they're cool, but she would be more interested in some kind of new technology rather than a ship grown. And I don't know why my brain went down that path, but that was the thing like lurking in the back of my head. That's interesting. I think structurally, you know, it's a good uh, kind of Watsonian explanation um, because she, you're right. Jason was always the one that was attached to animals and these ships are, are as much animals as they are machines. That's a good point. So, Nominor has finally Nominored off for good. Man, I wanted Mara to kill him. Me yes. too. Yes, I wanted Mara to kill him so badly. Did like, he actually really die at the end? I couldn't, I lost track. I feel like it was confirmed that he is actually firmly dead this time and staying dead. Mara should have stabbed him. He would have suffocated him. in the really ship, right? Yeah. I guess. Mara should have stabbed him, like, multiple times. She deserved Seriously. it. I yes. really thought they were going to go with the, like, he's like, are you really going to be as bad as your enemy if you kill me? And Mara would be like, yes, and stab him. Or Mara <laughs> would be like, I've done worse and and figured it out afterwards, whatever. <laughs> now I'm just picturing that, that bit from Firefly of Mal. Yes. I'm exactly. good. I'm okay. I'm all right. I guess. Stab, stab, <laughs> stab. Yep. Because Mara can do that. Luke can't yes. do that. Mara, Mara can do that. Yes. And it was this old chase scene where she was a force of nature and she got to be, she got to be really cool. And then so I guess awesome. she did, she did the good thing and was merciful. That's the Jedi master thing to do. I get it. But also I wanted her to stab him. And he didn't really she's like. kind of kicking herself a little here and there for letting was he really necessary for the rest? Like, did he do anything that kind of changed the course of anything? Other than almost Not getting tons. a bunch of people killed? Well, that. Yeah, that, but that was pretty important. I lost track, honestly. So, Rocky, tell me about Harar. I actually forgot that... I forgot how much Harar changed after going to Zanama Seikot and realizing, and the moment of, wait a minute, this really is home. This is Yuzhantar. And the moment of the Amphistaffs just going off into the forest, all the little bug bugs flying away to go be bugs like they're supposed to be. The warriors stepping foot there and all of their weapons go wander off to live the way they were actually supposed to and seeing Harar just realizing wait a minute this all of this violence and pain is not necessarily how it has to be that such hopeful note that the whole series ends on and Harar being kind of the one who has the realization at first wait a minute my species can have a better life for real he really kind of grew on me by the end I he forgot his... he wasn't dead. Me too. <laughs> that was a surprise. I was like, oh, you're back. I'm glad he's not dead. Yeah, no, you needed someone. I just can't help but, you know, wonder how it might have been if it was your your girl. I like, know. I was just yes. thinking that. So Harar has this serenity that I think bodes well for the future of the Yusanbang species. And I wonder if Nenyim would have felt the same way. I feel like Nenyim would have been like, she would have set up a lab already. She would be studying everything. Like, she would be less focused, or rather more focused on different things. 
but you could have both. Like, let Harar be the serene voice of wisdom one and let Nin Yim be the wacky scientist who's discovering how to make sure the plants don't eat or the bugs don't eat plants they're not supposed to eat. Like, they should both be there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, good. I just, because Tahiri stays on Zanamasiko after the end, and I really just want uh, to pretend that we live in the world where Tahiri becomes the magister and just lives happily ever after on, on Zanamasiko. Yes, I choose, I choose to believe that too. Yes, more on that later once we get down to that last bullet point. I know, yes. I kind of skipped ahead there, but... yeah. Did we talk so, about um, how the we they found out that the Yuzin Vong had been that Takat had like cut them off from the force? Not yet. No. Let's go into more, some more detail about that. About yes, how what the explanation for all this actually is? Because that floors me every single time. Yes, yes. The moment the moment of no, really, they got cut out of the force, and the realization of oh Zanama Seacott actually is a part of Yuzhantar. This is why this is our home. And that that moment I kind of love that whole scene. I love that whole realization. I, I like that as a species they go on a journey from not only like literally from one place to another, but from being cut out of the forest because of their their warlike nature and the, whatever sins they committed during the battle against the like the droid uprising or whatever and then they go back to Zanamasiko and it's like there's a puzzle piece that fits into their puzzle but there's also still a lot of pieces missing because you can't just give the force back yep it's a life-changing field trip just with lots of murder (laughs) absolutely the new Jedi Order life-changing field trip with Yunyusan Or without Yunyusan, I guess. I like the yeah. part where they talk about how the aspects of their gods are actually, like, aspects of... Was it aspects of the planet, right? I think so. But then the war one was the one they invented. Yes. 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 That was cool. That, like they were, that was a cool realization. They're kind of used to living in a place that does, in fact, have a persona of its own. So when they lose it, they invent these personas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense and fits nicely with just, you know, how mythology and religion pop up otherwise in the world. It's funny. Uh, I think the force, because the force is so self-evident... I mean, I have a lot of feelings about self-evident religion in fiction, but trying to go too far into the weeds and just be like, I do wonder if if the Star Wars series had decided to go this way, which obviously didn't, but like, what would be the kind of thing that would, what would this, that they as a species have to do to get the Force back? Like, what's the story of the first Yusan Vong Force user after their their great journey? Yeah. I want that story. I very much do. Remind me, did they say exactly how they got cut off from the Force? I don't think it was, there was no how in terms of, like, a technical way. Mm -hmm. But you get hints because the, the, okay, so, you know, Onimi's been controlling Shimra this whole time. That's the big revelation that Shimra was the Supreme Overlord, but Onimi was controlling the Supreme Overlord. And by the end, he kind of 
reveals himself was to be the mastermind. And the reason that he could do essentially this Jedi mind trick was because he spliced um, uh, Yamask cells into his brain. Right. And that yeah, gave him, something like that. And that gave him force like powers. So for people that haven't read the book and might be listening, that's the big revelation at the end of this, that Onimi was actually behind a lot of this. And to me, that says that the what the Yamasks have basically is the force. Like there's no like there's the force and Vong sense, but those two things are, as Jason has often suggested, not implicitly separate. It's like there aren't two different psychic frequencies in this world. There's really only one. It's always the force. The Yusan Vong are just, they've been like all psychically like cut, like amputated in a way that they don't know what they are feeling. Yeah. So for some reason, when I was reading this book, I just kept, I kept thinking about the sequel trilogy. And the moment I read the sentence of, you know, they were cut off from the forest and I'm like, wow, that would be an interesting punishment and or end for Kylo Ren. Oh, I've been saying that for a long time. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's the the Avatar ending. I don't, I didn't exactly come up with that. I've seen a couple other people on Twitter suggest it before, but the ending were like. I've I've heard of that here and there. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's nothing. It's not terribly new, but I just feel like, especially because there's these conversations right now. I feel like fandom for the last week or two has been talking a lot about whether or not the force is going to go away at the end of episode nine. Or just mm-hmm. be cut off from it, where I was just like, huh. Um, also, apparently we seem to be on an avatar kick tonight, which I'm fine I know. With. Very much. <laughs> Some kind of irreversible change to the Force would definitely, uh, I would be there going, mm-hmm, they did this in the New Jedi Order. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, no, I kept, man, just cut Kylo off. He needed to be cut off a while ago, but that's not the point. <laughs> That's kind of a good transition into our final showdown because um, Rock, excuse me, Bria, you have a note here about the Luke versus uh, Shimra yeah. and, and Jason versus Shimra, et cetera, throne room fight. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's overall, the, it's a pretty cool fight scene. Um, but the minute, Ch- you know, Luke goes off and he has... Um, He's got Jaina and Jason with him and they're all going to go face down against, against Shimura and, you know, hopefully bring everything to an end. It just made me want an alternate universe of the sequel trilogy where you had Luke going to face down Snoke with his daughter, Ray Skywalker, and his redeemed nephew, Ben Solo, against Snoke. And it would just be cool, you know. I just yeah. love, I just liked the idea. Of it. I mean, I'm very I'm very content with how the sequel trilogy is going so far, but it's neat to think of how things might have gone in a different world. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, I love the bit where Luke uses like light side force lightning. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And there I are. I want to say it's cool, but I keep thinking of books that happen after this and I can't think it's cool. Ugh. Sorry to bring us down. I don't remember what that was, but please don't neither, explain it to me. <laughs> neither do I, but. Oh, no, Rocky, you're going to find out. Exactly. I'm going to find out for myself because I have no common sense and I'm clearly going to keep reading. (laughs) Yeah, you said you're going to read The Legacy of the Force. No, no, no. You have to read Darkness Trilogy first. Considering I've never read Darkness, 
previously, I think I'm going to have to do this. It's going to be awful. But that's not the point. Because <laughs> what's not awful is this battle scene. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> we finally get, oh man, we, we need to talk about whatever Rocky's next project is. But um, <laughs> this scene does have the fulfillment of Jason's vision of the lightsaber. Anakin's lightsaber is a big part of this story because Onimi had it and it becomes the lightsaber that Jason um, discards. And there's that moment where he's like, he realizes that he has become the lightsaber or something, which is yeah, great. That was kind of odd, but yeah. <laughs> you know, metaphors, whatever. But I did think it was very, it was a very visually striking scene. Yes. Yes, just the imagery, all of the way this fight is described. So artistically done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think, do you think Thrawn could have outmaneuvered the Yusan Vong? No. I feel like I came across that thick at some point. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would be a very interesting fight, but not without a lot of loss, though I tend to think Thrawn would probably cut his losses a little bit differently than what the New Republic did. But see, that's the thing is I think I think the point of, of this book and some of the previous ones is that and Han has that great line about nostril Palpatine and how the Empire <laughs> would handle things yes, uh, several yes. books ago. But the point is, is that because the Yuuzhan Vong were so different, you had to bring the entire galaxy together to win. Yes. You know, like you, you needed the Haven plea. You needed what was left of the Empire. You needed the remnants of the New Republic. You Heck, you even needed the Smuggler's Alliance. You basically needed anyone who would hold still long enough to show up and help out. And well, not even battle at the end with everyone together. But that's not it, though. It's it's not it's not put weapons into the hands of anyone who can move. It's put weapons. It's have the weapons of everyone who thinks all these different ways, and you bring all of them together to beat this enemy. Um, and that's why like Thrawn couldn't have done it by himself. Oh no, there's no way. There's no freaking way. I mean, maybe, like, he would have approached things differently, and maybe, like, the final battle would have gone differently, but yeah. I think Thrawn would have put a fairly decent dent in the Yuuzhan Vong, but absolutely not able to defeat them solely on his own, because... But eh, they don't have art. They don't have art. What's he going to study? True. I mean, how much can you study a villa before before it just starts getting boring. It's just turning into this one person again and again. No. It's not art. That's the thing, though. Like, what would he have done? Okay, now, okay, I'm going to go down the weeds. I'm going to stop. <laughs> so, stop the, before I start the, arguing about whether Phillips are art. So, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the kind of climactic uh, fight here is that Jason basically melts Onimi, and there's a lot of goo in the last fight, which is appropriate. Um, Jason and Onimi are both fighting on the same arena that Roger did, where she can molecularly change her fluids, basically, to make poisons and to make counteragents, and, and Jason wins the day. Luke has been bitten. Jaina has been bitten. Everyone except Jason has been bitten and needs rabies shots. <laughs> and and then uh, we find ourselves heroic, or find our heroes victorious. There we go. Um, I'm a little bit tired. So, and for such a dark series, for a series that was kind of marketed with, with Chewbacca is dead, 
there is a surprisingly like beautiful happy ending to this and I do find that the more times I read this book, the more flaws I find in it. But the ending is still very warm. And there's this great moment of they're celebrating on Kashyyyk. There's a sense of of continuity in the in the least like the least uh, technical sense of that word. There's a sense of like the thing that was meant to happen has happened, and there's a relief at the end. And we get quite a few scenes, quite a few chapters of of mopping up of, you know, what's going to happen now. And then I think this quite, quite pleasant uh, memorial for Chewbacca at the end. So even though it's supposed to be a dark series, I found I do find the ending very cathartic. I love the ending. I, I really do. Because that's the thing is you can't you can't go that dark. And this series got pretty freaking dark multiple times without coming back up again, um, especially in a world like Star Wars. Uh, I thought that there was something, like you said, they end it with that memorial for Chewie. And I thought there was a beautiful way of bookmarking it. And I'm going to be bold and say the Legends timeline should have stopped here. Don't go further in the series. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just stop. Because in my mind, it basically did end here because I didn't have as much of an emotional connection to anything that came afterward. But yeah. technically, it did not at all. It just kept going here. and things Happy. got bad. And I like heck, even I even love the ending they gave Jaina here, where she's like, you know, Jag's like, hey, do you want to come be my parents? And she's like, not right now. At some point, yeah. and you know, like she's as much as we joke about, you know, the the Jane and Solo ship wars and all, I like that it's resolved where, you know, she she figured out someone she wanted to be with at some point. But it was also very much Jaina doing what Jaina wanted and then being like, you know what? If we meet up again at some point, cool. And it wasn't it felt more about her than about her love life. And I liked that. Yes. Yes. I think it was a really good um kind of middle ground because there's that bit where they're like oh it would probably be like very romantic for us to meet at like you know at these far-flung planets and you know we meet once a year or something and i think that does a good job of keeping that ship like if you ship them like that's a that's a like pleasant way for them to end up and at the same time it doesn't take away any of jane's independence or, or give her a sudden swerve out of what her characterization has been before. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I really like about this, and this is just the salty, very salty Legends fan who can't stop thinking about the sequels series that follow, is that the Jedi were all given a choice. People as a whole, and not just, well, everyone had a choice at the end of this, but like the Jedi could decide, they didn't have to come back to the Jedi Order. It wasn't the Jedi Order first and foremost. It was, okay, do you want to go to whatever this new academy is? Do you want to go and like remain in the military? Do you want to go roam the galaxy again? And Luke was okay with it, because it was very much about finding your path. Yes. I really liked how Luke realized that letting people go find their own paths was so important. The whole ending of this book is so good so fitting and open-ended enough that I'm pretty okay with assuming this is the end of the Legends timeline and everything else that happened after that 
was either a really, really weird dream or I am way too sober to make any sense of it. Yes. Even you though are, you are always way too sober to yeah. read the Darkness trilogy. Well, I am about to find out that the hard way and the same with Legacy of the Force because, yeah. Because oh, I have no, no common no, no, sense, gotta, okay? You gotta go through all of them now, so, Rocky. You hey, have no choice. I, I didn't Fate know Jedi, this, Rocky. I might, look, if I reread Fate of the Jedi, maybe I'll figure out what the plot is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the I plot didn't... is. The plot is tentacles. Other than tentacles, I know there was tentacles in Ben Skywalker's bad love life choices, but otherwise, I literally have no oh, idea what man. happened in that series, okay? Vistara deserves better. She should have gotten that Joan of Arc arc that Chrissy talks about. And oh, this is done. Vistara wow. oh. is one of those. Oh, okay, I am going to get so off topic here, so someone should probably shut me up and make me go away, but oh, I love Vistara. I haven't <laughs> heard that name. name in a long time. Vistara. <laughs> wow. Excuse me. I, I think Bria and I are having a quiet. Well, not so quiet meltdown over here because Vestara is awesome, okay? She deserves better. Tahiri deserves better. Tahiri deserves so much better. I think not, but no, she had to come out with a cod for weird Jedi bug sex. I'm fine. Okay, I'm reading. Everyone, everyone. (laughs) Yes. We're going to come to a centering moment here. (laughs) All right. So we're going to end on, I think, that image that we're just going to (laughs) pretend happened. Of Tahiri as Magister of Zanamasikot because the planet is now kind of going off on its own to figure out what it's going to do. It's the homeworld of the Sunvog now, and Tahiri's going to find out what she's going to do. So we can That's end incredible. with. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I can't. I'm not. There's no better <laughs> way to end it. So. Listen, we have some questions. We're not done yet. We have several <laughs> more things to do. We just broke <laughs> through, didn't we? Let's do questions. <laughs> I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, okay. Fine How are you? Odie <laughs> asks, which of the oh-so-many callbacks to previous books stood out to you the most, whether for good or bad? I'll say Bakura, because there are rainbow velociraptors on Bakura and those have to stand out. I don't have a deep answer. I just like the dinosaur aliens. Are we talking about just in this book? Because in this book, everything with race squadron stood out to me, but that's partially because I am an unapologetic race squadron fangirl, but I think how they used the race was good because the everything with Balho's staying behind on Coruscant paid off here, and so I thought that the inclusion of like Face and and Cal and everything with that that was well done. Um, and it I took this happy. question to mean in the whole series. What if the callbacks to previous books? Oh, maybe he means callbacks to previous NJO books. I apologize if I interpreted this question wrong. I was going with just this book since we're not doing our wrap up yet. That makes sense. Then I don't have an answer. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, my answer still would have been Raid Squadron, but that's not the point. <laughs> Rocky, do you have something? Maybe I'll think of an answer while you talk. <laughs> um, within, ooh, within this book, yes, because if I try to do within all of the books, again, we're going to have to teleport forward to the wrap-up episode. Um, one... 
Well, being that I haven't read Rogue Planet yet, I'm also not entirely sure because I feel like a lot of the psychot scenes may mean more to me after that. We'll have to find mm. out. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So Alex asks, while... Oh, sorry. Did you have more? Not that I can think of right now. Alex asks, while reading it the first time, I was almost certain Han was going to die. Should one of the big three have died, or is the theme of peace renewed too strong for that? I think the theme of peace renewed is too strong. I agree. agree. Like, I think a a death at at the beginning made sense. But one at the end didn't. Although I felt like Han, like I can see what you mean about being certain Han was going to die because that man felt borderline suicidal. And every five minutes, Leia's like, are you kidding me? We're doing what now? You volunteered us for what? Didn't we just leave this party? But yeah, no, I think. Yeah, theme of peace. And that's also why we didn't really have anyone updating the, the counters. Yes, so... I think that Luke's fate in the New Jedi Order, like if he had died here, would have been a lot more upsetting than his fate was in The Last Jedi. Like I've talked before about how I'm very attached to Luke, but I found his death to be not upsetting, which is very surprising with the way it was done in the sequels. And I think if he had just been poisoned by Shimura and died on the floor, it would have been miserable and that would have affected the whole series for me it would not have been i probably wouldn't have reread it as much as i have yeah i don't really think they could have gotten away with killing luke at the end of this book because like the whole overall hopeful message at the end i feel like that would have been completely incompatible with the death of a major character if the straits had been any more dire this book would have been called crucible why did you have to say that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I evoked the name. Listen, All right. you don't want me to go off on a rant again, and you say that name. Look, if my ongoing reading takes me all the way to Crucible, we may pick up that rant at some time in the future. Okay, no, 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 no. Rocky, this yeah. is a you thing. This is not a yes. we thing. This is entirely a you thing. I, d- Look, I went I... through those books for a project, and I still drank back then. I could not get through the Darkness Trilogy without tequila. Well, Let's the see. only thing I ever got through with tequila was was a truly embarrassing hangover. So Wait, that's not the point, Rocky. That's not the point. Let's Look, do characters. We've this suffering has opened other people who want to help me. I mean, <laughs> let's not introduce listeners to drink too much with a uh, dark nest. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, Mikey. Would you like to go over the counters before I go I off would. again? Okay. So our <laughs> Please tell me about counters. counters have not adjusted very much. Um, I think one of the things we learned, one of our character development points over the course of this podcast, is that there were actually fewer deaths than we thought. The total of Jedi deaths remains at 20, about one per book, probably two for Star by Star, probably 11 for Star by Star. <laughs> um no great deaths for Kakmame and Miwal are fine. The Noguri population is surprisingly fine. And the truest, biggest change of the Vaughn cast, the Kips and Jerk references, I think we can clear them. Do, do you think we can clear them? Should we make it? Should we turn it from negative, from X minus two to zero and just even them out? I think so, yeah. I think that. Right. I support himself. that. I will he make gets... one, one note. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, he gets a ceremonial zero. I don't know if I'd call that a redemption, but he's even now. <laughs> Good job, Kip. We're proud of you, buddy. That's as close to redemption as he will probably ever be. So, <laughs> yes. I will make one note about the Jedi deaths is that I noticed in like one of the last chapters, uh, they mentioned that like basically half the Jedi Order got wiped out. So I'm assuming a lot more Jedi died than 20. We just don't know their yeah. names. Mm-hmm. And also our last shout out to Odie's fanfic and art chart, which I should really have gotten the URL. Um, it is available on Twitter via um, Odie, who has been a very, very good friend of the show. Um, that's at of many nicknames on Twitter. He has the chart if you wish to view it with your own eyeballs. So good chart. This is our last novel, but it is not our last episode. Bria, yeah. so explain what yes. we're doing next. So technically, it's it's not our last novel. It's our last New Jedi Order book. Um, but because we're just having so much fun doing this, and uh, I have a lot of feelings about pilots, uh, we're not ending the show yet. I kind of mentioned this on Twitter via the Tasha Station account earlier this week. Uh, we're going to go for another four episodes. So the schedule for the rest of the show, and I'll tweet about this uh, whenever the episode goes live, so you might be seeing this before you listen to the episode. Uh, next month, we're going to be reading X-Wing Mercy Kill. And the reason we're reading it is because even though it takes place after Fate of the Jedi, which is about another 15 or so years in the timeline, it's actually the closest thing to a direct sequel we have to the New Jedi Order. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, but if you haven't read the book, but if you if you have, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you're in for some interesting surprises. And it's also by Aaron. with us. Yes, and it's by Aaron Alston, and it was the last Star Wars book he wrote. So you should read it. It's about Zona Mutsukat. And then in January, we're going to go over all three arcs in the Invasion comic that Dark Horse did, which is the comic that goes along with the New Jedi Order. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're all more or less reading these for the first time, or if nothing else, none of the three of us remembered anything about it when we were talking about it before. Correct. Um, yeah, so that was a fun surprise. I certainly don't think any of us have finished it. No, mm-hmm. not at all. Although I did find a couple of the uh, the floppies when I was looking through some bins randomly in New York. I didn't buy them, though, because reasons. Um, and then February, which will be our two-year anniversary of the show, will also be our final episode. So we'll be doing a wrap-up. Um, it'll mostly just be, you know, what our thoughts on the series and the books that go with it. Uh that will definitely be an episode where we will love to have lots of reader or listener questions. And yeah, so that's our schedule. Mercy Kill, Rogue Planet, Invasion, and then the finale. Cool. So it is not um, it is not the end. There are several things left. So thank you all for coming along with us, maybe reading along with us, maybe not. Maybe just uh, here for the nether mandibles. I don't know. Um, so we will have another episode next month. So for now, um, let's talk about where to find us on social media. Um, someone go first. You can find me at Chaos Bria on Twitter, where I might be talking emotionally about cheese. You never know. Maybe it's Dragon Age. Maybe it's <laughs> cheese. Maybe it's both. 
Uh, aside from that, uh, you can find my writing and columns over on Tashi Station, which is TashiStation.net. And then every now and then I write for StarWars.com as well. Cool. Rocky? Awesome. Well, I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter. I complain about World of Warcraft, cars, life, whatever, lack of coffee, Star Wars, anything else that catches my tiny attention span for two seconds. And I have also written for 1138 in the past. Maybe someday I'll come out of retirement. And I've also done the Of Dice and Droids podcast. Hmm, you could write about Fate of the Jedi for 1138. Hmm. <laughs> so I can be found at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. Lately, I've been talking about Shadow Keep, the new Destiny expansion, which I guess now that it, they're officially calling it an MMO more often, I'm, I've got a little Venn diagram slice of, uh, of Rocky's wow, um, wow audience there. So my Destiny thoughts are. Over there, I write for Den of Geek, StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, and also podcast on um, Western Reaches, which, like this show, is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. Um, so you can join us next time when we read X-Wing Mercy Kill by Aaron Alston. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Voncast. Thanks for listening, and until next time...